What's really good? Welcome back to another episode of The Sanchez Show. As always, hosted by yours truly, Eric Sanchez, aka Legend in Two Games. Make sure you follow me across all social media platforms. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment. And as I always say, I open up the platform for any great sports debate. With that being said, it is Saturday, May 28th. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I got tongue tied because I got a beverage already flowing. But normally I know give you an episode on Friday nights, but Will Gordon and I, we're taking a week off because of the holiday. We're going to get back to it next week. No weeks off for me, though, because we got a fight tonight, baby. Again, big fight tonight. We got to get in some NBA talk as well. But as always, we got sports in general. So let's get to it, man. Let's start with the NBA. The Golden State Warriors are back in the NBA Finals. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, the core of this Golden State team is headed to their sixth NBA Finals appearance within the last eight years, man. We're talking dynasty. We're, we're talking legendary shit from Golden State, man. And I want a couple of things I want to touch on with Golden State. First and foremost, it as a sports fan, and this is not to throw any shade on anyone else. This is not to knock anyone else's hustle. But as a sports fan and as, as someone who purely enjoys competition, it is really refreshing to see a team stick together, go through the ups and downs, have to find their way back to the top. Whether the Warriors win or lose these finals, they've shown the heart it takes to really be a champion, right? People, you know, started to hate on them when, when they got KD and they went to ultimately five straight NBA finals, winning three of them. But people started to dislike them when KD got there, you know, so they were easy to pick on. And you heard guys like Pat Bev said, you know, they had their run now. It's everybody else's turn to pick on them. I don't, again, I don't remember Pat Bev picking on anybody, but this ain't to throw shade on nobody. What I'm saying is they went through two down years to figure it out, to get back to this moment. And now they're in the NBA finals. I think it's super impressive. I think they rank amongst the greatest dynasties the sport has ever seen. To me, the Bulls winning six and eight years is still the best dynasty because of the landscape of the NBA, the shift, how athletic the league was, the moving parts of free agency being involved in trying to maintain a dynasty. But the Spurs were also impressive too. But what Golden State is doing, I think is right on that same level. Not quite Chicago Bulls-esque, but very similar to what the Spurs were able to do. Spurs were able to do it over a longer period of time. But again, eight years, Steve Kerr and the Warriors, six of those years being in the NBA Finals, they really, you know, they won three of the, of the five appearances. Now they're trying to go for their fourth. But, you know, they were uh, technical foul and suspension away from going back to back before they even got Kevin Durant. And they were injuries away from winning another one against Toronto. Obviously, KD missed all of that series. He only played a little bit before he was re-injured. And then Klay Thompson went down. I think if those injuries don't take place, I think it's safe to say they would have won that one. But again, it's refreshing. I think it's super impressive. I don't know what other adjective to use, really, because I think what the Warriors have done stands alone. And I think we also got to give credit to their organization for having a clear plan and understanding this is what it's going to take for us to get there. At no point during this run 
has Golden State looked to make or executed, I should say, the splashy trade? They've stayed true. There was opportunities for them to make trades, but they stood true to the guys they drafted. And yes, you do need a little bit of luck, right? For those who really follow the game basketball, you know Golden State did get a little bit of luck. Steph Curry dropping to them at number eight in that 2009 draft. It's luck. Steph Curry having some injury uh, issues early in his career, which then allowed them to sign him for less than the max after his first contract. Took some luck. But when you put yourself in position to be successful, you're going to get some luck as well. And I think Golden State has been able to capitalize on that. I think we got to applaud their front office for, again, putting together a winner and finding a way to surround their guys with the right pieces. The team we see in front of us today is different than the team from a few years ago that had gone to five straight finals. Yes, the, the big three is still there, but the other pieces are different. On that first run, there was more veterans around. Iguodala, Livingston, Andrew Bogut, David West, David Lee at the beginning of that, right? Then now they're the veterans, Curry Thompson and, and Draymond. And now you see the younger guys, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. You got some rookies who get in a couple minutes now, Moody and Kaminga. You get a veteran shooter like Bayelitsa. You get Kevon Looney who's been kind of, he's a veteran too. He's been with them for most of this. I just love it. And that's why I say it's refreshing. They built it the right way. Remember last offseason, people were speculating they were going to make the trade for Bradley Beal. They're going to bring Bradley Beal. They're going to bring him in. They have to bring him in. They stood true. They felt Jordan Poole was going to develop into something good. I don't think they knew he was going to be this good, but they felt Jordan Poole was going to develop and they stood true. And now you look at them and you say, man, could we be seeing another run from the Warriors? Again, that's, that's where it gets ironic. It's very rare that a team has a run, kind of shuffles the deck a little bit, and then has another run immediately. Like within two years, it's very rare that you see it that way. But when you look at Golden State and you say, man, Steph is easily going to play into his late 30s, right? Clay is looking like he's getting closer to what he once was. Is he ever going to be that same version? Probably not. The injuries back to back and missing two years of basketball is going to take you some time. He may never be that elite defender again, but he's always going to be able to shoot. He's always going to be able to give you that instant offense. Then you throw Jordan Poole in the mix and you look at Andrew Wiggins and what he's done. And then you look at them young guys like Kaminga, like Moody. Oh, by the way, last year's lottery pick, Wiseman hasn't even played really this year. He's another guy they're developing. So when you look at all those things they have, this could be the makings of another good four to five year run where Golden State is in the mix every year. Western Conference is going to have to watch out, man. Western Conference is going to really have to watch out because Golden State is looking to prepare themselves for another run. And if they do decide to make the splashy trade that I've alluded to, if they do decide that they need to go get another guy to play next to Steph, you've got Andrew Wiggins expiring contract going into next season. You got some flexibility to make a, make a move happen. Wiggins, one of those younger guys that they just drafted, could pull you could pull an all-star into the mix. I don't think they will, but it's always good to talk about. Again, this is the Sanchez Show, man. Let's keep it basketball, though. Last night, I was disappointed in the Boston Celtics, man. Y'all got to close that out at home, bro. You got to finish that off. Jimmy Butler was amazing, by the way. I saw the, the graphics. People were 
comparing it to what Braun did in, in 2011, Game 6 in Boston, my immediate reaction, the internet got to relax. Internet got to chill. That Braun performance was legendary. That Braun performance probably saved the Heatles. For those of you that don't remember, Miami had lost the year before to Dallas. They were down 3-2 going to Boston. There was a lot of talk. Could the big three ever win? There was a lot of talk that if they lost to Boston in those Eastern Conference uh, finals, that one of the big three wouldn't be there, more than likely Bosch, because I don't think they were going to trade Braun. And Wade definitely wasn't going nowhere. So there was a certain level of pressure that surrounded that Miami Heat team. Looking back at it, if they lose to Boston that year, Eric Spolstra would no longer be the coach. He would have had two years to try it with the big three. We had already seen the sideline blowups. He was outcoached by Rick Carlisle in the finals the year before. He was being outcoached at that time by Doc Rivers. Eric Spolstra would have been gone. We wouldn't be talking about Eric Spolstra the way we do now. With his two championships. With his, what, five finals appearances? Working on a sixth. We wouldn't be talking about him that way. So, Braun's performance that night back in... I believe that was that was the that was actually the 2011-2012 season. So it was probably two, it was spring of 2012. That performance by Braun saved a lot of jobs. And had Braun not performed that way, the history of the NBA gets altered because then maybe Miami doesn't ever win a championship with their big three. Not saying Braun wouldn't have got one at some point, but remember that series. Moving on, let them go on to face Oklahoma City and get Braun his first ring and the Heat was their first ring in their second finals appearance. If they lose to the Boston Celtics, they the big three is broken up. Eric Spolster's out of a job. And the questions around Braun's greatness start to grow louder. Then we really would have wondered, is this guy ever going to figure it out? Fortunately, he did. So I say all that to say this. It's, it's very unfair to compare what Jimmy did yesterday to what Braun did 10 years ago with their season on the line. Yes, Miami season is on the line. Yes, Miami, obviously, if they lose questions going into this offseason about would they remain the same. But we're not. it's not the same level. Boston has been the favorite coming into the series. Miami isn't coming off a finals disappointment. So it's, it's different. But ultimately, I'm disappointed in Boston. You got to find a way to win that game. You got to find a way to close out that game. And they didn't. And that's the second time Miami has been able to find a way on Boston's home court. Found a way to win a game. Now we got game seven tomorrow. And it sounds crazy because I know some of you who've been watching and listening to the show know that I picked Boston to win in seven games. So you might be wondering, why are you so shocked that it's going seven? This is what your original prediction was. It was my original prediction. But that was also before I knew Boston was going to be up 3-2 at home with an opportunity to close it out against a very battered Miami Heat team that is struggling to score the ball. The story yesterday has been a story all series. When Miami wins, it's because Boston is sloppy with the ball and they turn the ball over. 17 turnovers yesterday. That's unacceptable. In an Eastern Conference Finals with an opportunity to close the show, you can't turn the ball over 17 times. Boston's got to be better. I still like Boston going into Game 7. They just made it tougher for themselves. But come tomorrow night, we will know who will be facing the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so I'll save my prediction in the finals for the next episode later in this week as well. Shout out to Combo Score. Combo Score is going to be joining the show. 
you guys heard me mention the 2009 NBA draft, which obviously featured uh, uh, Steph Curry. So we're going to get into that because I feel that's a draft that uh, has really altered the history of the league. And it's not just Steph Curry. Look at look at some of the guys who went before Steph. There's some Hall of Famers there, man. There's one legitimate Hall of Famer. There's possibly two that went in front of Steph. But more importantly, you look at some of the teams. Um, there's one team in particular at the number three spot that uh, Combo and I will get into that. If they had taken Steph Curry, what, what would the league have looked like? So that's something we're going to discuss. And also our finals predictions. Um, let's take a little bit more NBA before we get into the fight tonight, which I'm super excited about. What is going on in Brooklyn? Where Brooklyn at? What the fuck is going on in Brooklyn? I know I've been critical as a Knicks fan. I think I'm taking too much. I, I, you know what? As a Knicks fan, I can't say I'm taking too much joy. I, I'm probably not taking enough joy in the dysfunction that's taking place in Brooklyn. But reports have surfaced that Kevin Durant has not spoken with the front office of the Brooklyn Nets since they were swept by the Boston Celtics in the first round. The irony in all this is we just heard Sean Marks a couple weeks ago make the statements that everyone needs to be on the same page moving forward and that the front office is going to take a little bit more control of the situation there in Brooklyn. It sounded like they were targeting and, and making those comments specifically for Kevin, I mean, uh, for Kyrie Irving. As everyone knows, and well talked about, Kyrie missed a lot of time this year because of he wasn't vaccinated. Uh, he didn't even play 30 games this year. So it sounded like they were kind of sending the shout out to him that we need you on the same page. We need you to buy into what we're doing so that we can ultimately get to the goal that we're trying to accomplish. But hearing that they haven't spoken to Kevin Durant makes me wonder if maybe they were speaking to Kevin Durant. Maybe they were trying to let him know that you are not in control of the situation. We are going to be making stronger decisions based off what we believe, and you're going to have to buy in. And all of this to me is ironic and funny and sad all at the same time because Kevin Durant, for as talented as he is, is kind of a lost basketball soul. He might have one of the greatest basketball what-if careers, and that's that's a subject for another episode. But when he went to Brooklyn, he made comments about the Knicks, and this is why I take extreme joy in watching Brooklyn suffer. But he made comments about the Knicks, and he also made comments, though, that he and Kyrie chose Brooklyn because of the culture that they were creating. Now, at the time, I called bullshit, but people looked at me as if I was just a bitter Knicks fan who didn't want to accept Kevin Durant's explanation. But now, three years later, I looked like I was correct in, in calling bullshit because what culture was Kevin Durant speaking of? Within a few months, their head coach, Kenny Atkinson, was fired. Within that first year of Kevin Durant and Kyrie getting there, all the young guys who helped build that culture that we saw in Brooklyn were gone, right? D'Angelo Russell was part of the move to bring in Kevin Durant. But then we saw Jared Allen moved. We saw Karis LeVert moved. We saw Spencer Dinwiddie moved. So all the young guys who played a major role in helping the Nets turn things around from being bottom dwellers, they got in as an AFC that year before KD and Kyrie got there. All those guys, Kenny Atkinson as well, were gone within a year, year and a half. You know, the, the last part of all those moves was Jared Allen and Karis LeVert who were traded last year as part of the Harden deal. 
So within a year and a half, the four young pieces, the draft picks, and the coach that were all building this culture within Brooklyn from the ground up were all gone and shipped out because KD and Kyrie wanted it that way. KD and Kyrie didn't want to play for Kenny Atkinson. And the rumor has it, and I've, I've reported this before, is that KD and Kyrie not only didn't want to play for Kenny Atkinson, they didn't even want to abide by the rules the team had set in terms of workout days, conditioning days, coming in to get shots up. The Nets had a whole laid out game plan of how they do things. KD said, nah, I come to the gym when I want, shoot when I want, when I feel comfortable. The team said, okay. Kyrie said, no, I'll get, I get treatment for my injuries when I want on my time, not when you guys schedule it for me. The team said, okay. Which then led to Kenny Atkinson losing his job because they didn't want to play for Kenny Atkinson. Read the tea leaves. What did Kyrie say right before Steve Nash uh, coached his first game? We really don't need a head coach. Well, now, two years later, after Steve Nash has been hired, they've only won one playoff series. Obviously, haven't come close to an NBA Finals. But you don't need a coach, apparently. Anyway, my point being, KD and Brooklyn, this is a train wreck that I am enjoying um, watching from a distance. It's going to be it's going to continue to be a train wreck. I don't think just because they expect Ben Simmons to play next year. I mean, we've been expecting that for a while, but just because they expect him to play, I don't think it gets any better. I don't think Steve Nash gets any better as a head coach. And I think the Brooklyn Nets struggle again. KD is regretting being in Brooklyn. He, he will never openly admit it, but he's got to be feeling the way that he trusted Kyrie and he thought him and Kyrie could do this. Meanwhile, the team he left, the team he left that he, he felt was never going to accept him, never going to love him the way he wanted to be loved by the city. They're back in the finals. How about that? Hmm. The Boston Celtics could be in the finals, and he could have signed with the Boston Celtics at one point, too. He didn't want to go there. So, it keeps getting better and better in Brooklyn. Um, let's get into some basketball news. Um, boxing news, though. Let's get into the fight tonight, man. Before before I do that, though, as well, I always say, follow me across all social media platforms, man. Legend in two games, completely spelled out. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment. And as I always say, I'll open up the platform for any great sports debates. Later this week, again, just plugging it in. Combo's Court joins the show. We're going to revisit the 2009 NBA draft as well as give our finals predictions, which start next Thursday. And then Will Gordon and I get together for an episode on Friday that I think is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. We're probably going to be on Facebook Live, but the audio will go up as it always does because there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about Will Gordon's statement in regards to Steph Curry being higher on the all-time list than LeBron James. So I'm going to save all of my analysis for that. We're going to get into that. But boxing, going down tonight. I love this time of year uh, for sports because obviously we have NBA playoffs. We got baseball in full effect. Shout out to my first place Mets doing their thing. Um, Shout out to the first place Yankees too. Though I'm I'm not thrilled about what Josh Donaldson recently said. Um, You know, making making a, a... a joke that was racially insensitive whether he meant to do it or not it was still done in, in poor taste but the yankees are, are smoking right now they're they're hot as shit right now uh, but it is good to see the yankees and mets both in first place doing their thing uh but this time of year as i mentioned we get the basketball playoffs we get major league baseball but we get a lot of great boxing 
every week we've gotten a really good fight. Tonight, I think it's no different. Rolando Romero, Raleigh Romero gets gets what he's wanted for four years. He gets to fight what has been a monster at the lightweight division and now junior welterweight at 140. Javante Tank Davis. I think the world of Tank, I've said it before, I've got minor critiques about Tank. But tonight, again, he gets a guy who I feel has done a really good job in Raleigh Romero of making the fight personal and making it seem personal. Raleigh has gotten under Tank's skin. You can see it. You can, you can hear the frustration in Tank's voice. You can hear the, the frustration in his trainer's voice. Uh, you saw it yesterday in their face-off when he pushed uh, Raleigh off the stage. He is frustrated. This guy has gotten under his skin, and he can't wait to fight tonight. I think it's going to be a really good fight. I think it's going to be better than people think. I- I'll say that. There are some who watching it. I've seen people actually betting on, on Raleigh to win. I don't think he will win. I've got Tank winning, and I think Tank stops him in the seventh round. I'm going to predict the seventh round, but I think it's going to be a good fight for those first six rounds leading up to the seventh. Riley has a lot of power, but he's very raw. He is unorthodox. He's a little sloppy at times, but he's going to try to stalk Tank, I think, early in the fight. And I think Riley's chance to really take control of the fight is going to have to come in the first two to three rounds because I think skill-wise alone, Tank is way better. So I think Riley's got to jump out early on him. Riley's probably got to be super aggressive um, and then force Tank to kind of get reckless as the fight goes on. But Tank is very disciplined, and that's why I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think Tank stops him seventh round. If it goes beyond that, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be shocked if it goes to the cards. I don't think it's going to the cards because I think Riley knows his best chance to win is to knock out Javante Davis. And in order to do that, he's going to have to sell out. He's going to have to get reckless. He's going to have to shoot for the stars, aim for the moon. He's going to have to go all in, especially early in the fight, and hope that Tank makes a mistake. And in doing so, he's going to open himself up to an uppercut, maybe an overhand. And that's why I don't think this one goes the distance. Seven, seventh round is what I'm calling it. Tank Davis will win. Then we'll, we can have the discussion about what's in Tank's future. Will he stay with Mayweather promotions? Will he move on? And then who's next for him. But for tonight, like I said, good fight. Things going to be an action-packed fight, entertaining fight. Tank Davis and Seth. With that being said, man, this is the Sanchez Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment. Again, coming up next week, Combo's Court. That episode will drop on Thursday. We're recording it on Wednesday. That one will drop on Thursday. Friday, if you don't already, follow me, like I said, on Facebook. It is Legend in Two Games. You can also find me through my name, Eric Sanchez. You'll see the logo. But this Friday, Will Gordon and I will be going live to have that conversation about the top 10 all-time list if Steph should be above LeBron James. FYI for everyone listening, this is a conversation we brought up before all the major platforms. Look at the timestamps. Look at the date. We mentioned this before ESPN, before Fox Sports, before everyone else started talking about this. We knew this conversation was coming because that's what we do. But that live is going down Friday with the episode being uploaded Saturday. And I believe next Saturday is Devin Haney against uh, Cambosis. I, I got to double check the date on that. I think that is next next Friday, uh, next Saturday, though, because I know Devin Haney's already over there in Australia. So that might be another fight prediction I got to give you guys next week. But with that being said, I am Eric Sanchez. This is The Sanchez Show, and I'm out of here.